I'm getting the microphone out, and then you want me to use the, the headphones in it? Whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in New York. Okay. I'm assuming everybody's in London. Yep, I'm in South London in my bedroom right now. I'm going to do a little British actions for you guys, what I can do. A little cockney, a little cockney. <laughs> you sound um, like a drunk Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I have this, and then I need to put the power in it, obviously. Yes, sir. Adding it up in <laughs> no time, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So now it's just me and you in the room, baby. <laughs> this is Role Model Podcast, people, and you're here with me, Leomi Anderson. And today's guest is about to have you gagged, okay? Because if, like me... You're one of the early adopters of the Netflix binge. You're going to recognize today's guest straight away. She became a household name when she starred on the hit TV series, Orange is the New Black. And we are going to dive into what gave her the strength to take the risk to pursue acting, something that she had dreamed about ever since she was a little girl. I would pray that I want to be an actress. I want to sing. I want to dance. Please, God, please. I would say my fathers and I will pray from moving from the Dominican Republic to New York when she was two, falling pregnant in her teens, her father being incarcerated and losing her mother at a time when she needed her the most, today's guest is a representation of waking up every day and pushing on to achieve your dreams. The outcome was not in my control. The only thing that was in my control is to push forward and go for it. Facts. So I decided to take the decision and control what I can. She is one of the fiercest ladies that I've had on the podcast and the funniest. And we are talking everything from body positivity, pussy positivity, overcoming your pride and learning that being vulnerable can be a good thing. It's my pussy. It's my vagina. It's my cookie. It's my ass. It's my, you know, it's like whatever I want to do, I want to do with it. I am so excited to introduce you guys to Miss Dasha Polanco. And I just have to tell you that, first of all, obviously you guys can't see this, but she looks absolutely amazing. She's coming with the snake gold earrings, the half up, half down pony with a couple of <laughs> highlights and the glam is on 10. So thank you so much for giving me the time today. And I just want to ask you, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm really excited to be here, Leonie. Thank you for having me and inviting me across the pond. Is that what we say? Across yes, the pond? Yes, that's what we say. <laughs> We're going to have to work on the accent, though, but we I'm can do that I'm going to work on my British <laughs> accent. When I was in drama class, I was learning phonetics so I could do British and Cockney. Okay. Even though you told me I sound like an Australian drunk man, but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. But you want to know what? I want people to really get to know you because already you're giving me life. You're giving me personality. You're giving me teeth and smiles, which I love. And it's made me feel very invited and like comfortable for this interview. And I want to get to really know you because I feel like everybody got to know you and know your face and know your skills from your breakout role on Orange is the New Black. And I think it's so easy for people just to assume that once someone makes it big time, everything's easy. Everything was amazing. Life was great. But you have actually had so many life experiences. You have two beautiful children. You've worked several jobs before your career. I really want to get to know you and delve deeper into how you've become the role model that we have all know and love today. So, yeah, we're going to dive right in. We're going to get <laughs> really deep and dive and dive in the deep waters of Dasha Polanco. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. So you moved to Brooklyn at the age of two from Santo Domingo. Can you tell me your earliest memories of New York? It's funny. People don't usually remember. I think they say before seven, but I have very vivid memories of like my preschool years, my kindergarten years. You know, I was very active in church. I sang in church. I participated in after school programs. You know, I lived by the Brooklyn Navy Yard, which now is gentrified and it's mm. it's not what it used to be at a time where, you know, crime was really high. Um, Brooklyn is not what it is now. It was definitely a culture shock because I witnessed my parents working in factories, mm. um, not knowing the language, struggling. But they were always in my memory idols. I always looked up to what they did. I never thought that that was um, any reasons for me to be ashamed of, of who I am. I was always proud. I was proud of being Dominican. I was proud of coming here and being different. And, you know, I must say that I I did not understand what race was until I grew up in Brooklyn, in the United States. Mm. So realizing, you know, there's different people in the world. You know what I mean? And not based on skin color, just culturally different people. Mm. Um, because coming from a Caribbean island where there's a huge diaspora of all different um, tones, skin tones, it wasn't anything different for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I remember like sitting out on the on the stoop, you know, mm. late at summer nights, double dutching, doing lanyards. I was very crafty as a kid. Hula hoop. I mean, this is a time where you're outside. Hopscotching, you're outside, outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not living outside through your phone. You're really outside. Yeah. But it was definitely magical. And it definitely established a lot for me now mm. as a woman and who I am. But as you said, though, it was a big culture shock. When do you think, or at what age do you feel that you became aware of the divide that is sometimes, well, that is still actually to an extent seen within New York? Because as you said, you were used to the tones. Right. No, no, no. And and divide and 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 that I didn't learn until I moved to Miami in, mm. in my teen years, you know, that I did high school in Miami. That's when I really realized like that there was a huge issue here. Um and obviously I'm not an expert and I wouldn't wanna like to speak on things that I'm not an expert on as far as like the racial divide, but only my experience. I could only speak on what my experience was. And that's when I really realized like there's a huge there's, this still exists. And it was in Miami. Because in New York, I had friends from all over. Like one of my close friends was from Venezuela. And another one was from Nigeria. Another one was from like India. Another one was from like um, the Philippines. So I had friends from all over the world that our cultures were different, but they were my friends. And I didn't see the difference. I just wanted to learn the differences. You know, yeah. does that make sense? It was like, that's not different. It's just... This is how they eat, right? So this is what they eat. And, and me, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the Caribbean. Like my mom used to cook every day. So even the food was different. In New York, you get exposed to so many different cultures. And yep. that's the beauty of it, that I was so focused on learning it versus 
seeing the differences exactly yeah right and like disassociating myself from it it was like I brought my flag and I brought my culture and I was proud to share it with everyone I mean my show and tells were very different I didn't have a my you know just to speak about show and tells right yeah like this is a teddy bear I've had since I was little (laughs) that didn't exist in my house you know like you don't have a teddy bear from your little so I would have to pretend and bring like a stuffed animal and say, this is my squirrel. And this, you know, reminds me of my grandfather. Um, you know what I mean? It was like, I don't, we don't do show and tell. We don't have Facts. that. Like, Facts. We're, we're too busy trying to like still like get platanos and cook plantains and get food on the table and have to explain that. You know, I had to explain what, oh, you eat avocado with bread? <laughs> Aguacate con pan was like, it's like what avocado toast is today. It was frowned upon back then. You know, I was like, what is that? No, you don't eat a fruit with bread. I'm like, well, I do. And it's delicious. You know what I mean? Or you don't eat beef tripe. I do. And it's delicious. You know, so it was like a lot of that kind of conversation. But I must say that I'm so glad that I had that experience and that I'm very aware of what has transpired. And I have educated myself in the history of what was here, but also in owning my experience here, um, what I identify with, my story as a young woman, young child, young girl with dreams, an immigrant to, to America. That's a beautiful story. And I can see that you're so proud of it and it's really shaped you to be the actress that you are today. And that's the thing that people need to understand as well is that like no matter what your background is, it shapes you, it molds you, it makes you who you are as a person. And I am so proud of, even for me, like being from London, seeing my grandparents and how proud they are of their culture and how they pass it on to me. Like that is something that's so close to my heart as well. So I proper like resonate with you when you speak about that. You spoke about Miami and I know that's where you first fell in love with acting. So can you just tell me about your experience of your first acting class or what what made Miami the place for you? Well, actually, I fell in love with acting in third grade and it was in Brooklyn and it was. Yeah. So what happened was that I'm not professionally trained. I didn't go to college for it. I just took classes, obviously. You take drama class, you know, it's mm-hmm. a requirement. But I always knew since I was little, I would re-record the novelas, the soap operas, re-record them on cassettes and like try to rehearse them and watch, you know, even though they're not age appropriate, I was a little girl that I would just <laughs> like be amazed with like what they were doing. They get to play all day. They get to dress up. They get to like be whoever they want. And that for me was amazing. Like, oh my God, to perform, to sing, like, you know, to listen to the music and to dance in front of people and to like entertain was the thing that I fell in love with at a very young age. And I realized that that's where I felt most free and I felt most happy. I felt most where I connected with people was when I'm able to be on stage, when I'm able to perform, where I'm able to to just via art tell a story and Mm -hmm. touch people that way. And so... I understood at a very young age and I used to pray every day, get on my knees, you know, to the point where I know that I manifested this for myself, obviously with the blessing of God and so forth. I would pray that I want to be an actress. I want to sing. I want to dance. Please, God, please. I would say my Our Fathers and I would pray. And, you know, you lose those traditions, obviously, because now I don't consider myself religious. I consider myself more spiritual than anything. Mm. And I forgot how much I would ask for that as a little girl. 
And so coming across adversities, coming across obstacles where, you know, you grow up and sometimes your parents' decisions um, affect you. Sometimes your own, when you know, you do your own fuck ups and, you know, mm-hmm. you have to own them and you, and you realize that sometimes that diverts you from what your true purpose is. And yeah. People say it's cliche, but you know what your true purpose is because it's something that you love and it doesn't allow you to sleep. And you have to have like, you really have to have that resilience and that determination to say like, I can't leave here. My job is not done here until I do this. For me, it's important to to voice that you don't get anywhere just by getting anywhere. For some of us, it's hard work. For some of us, it's not. Some of us have the opportunities there. Some of us are not ready for the opportunity. Mm. And I felt like even though I have self-doubt and I am insecure at times and I'm like, why I came in this very late in the game. And I was so insecure about that. I was so insecure about my age. I was so insecure about being a mom. I was so embarrassed about having a dad that's been incarcerated, losing my mom at an age where it really affected my mental health. And to this day, I'm still dealing with grief. You know what I mean? And it's been a long time, but I still deal with it. And so I used to be embarrassed about all those things. And I'm learning now that it's okay to, to voice it and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to actually speak upon this because you're not alone. You're not the first, you're not the last. And it is your experience. Sometimes we speak about things because it's a trending topic. Mm. And I had to catch myself because I want to be in the front line and I want to defend people and I want to speak about these things. And I realized that you don't have to speak all the time. You don't have to say all the time. You can really just speak on your experience and and allow things to unravel when they need to. And when you need to do something and when you need to be active, yeah. you need to take action, then you take action. You be the action. Don't be the talk. I feel like a lot of people find that they have to follow the trends. If they see a lot of people talking about things, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like now I can speak about this because that's my experience. But like, no, like speak on it because you feel like in this moment in time, what you say it needs to be said at that time. You can't force anything. Even for me, growing up and starting to do interviews and stuff, I felt like in the beginning, I had to speak up all the time about my experiences as a Black model to the right. point where like interviews, they would always just think, oh, if I need a quote from a Black model, it will be her. And then I realised, like, hold on a right. second, like I can speak on this when I feel like it, when I think that it's the right time and when I feel passionate and ready to speak on it. I shouldn't be speaking on it just because people are telling me like, oh, now it's trendy to talk about it, you know? And so I completely resonate with that. And that's something that's definitely like, I had to learn it as I got older and like, as I became more understanding and aware of how things are in this industry. Absolutely. And also Leomi, to the fact of, you know, cause I may speak on this and and I speak from my heart. I don't prep. I don't, you know, I, I just speak based on what I, what my experiences is and what I want, the message that I want to send out there. And one of the things is when you really follow your intuition and you know that you're supposed to do something, like you're an entertainer, you're an artist. I don't know, you, 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 you want to have a podcast, you want to do your startup. There's so much opportunities out there for now to really fulfill and to do what you really want to do and mm-hmm. and dedicate time that all it takes is for you to take that risk and be fearless and if I wouldn't have 
just one person. All it takes is one person mm. to say, do it. All you need is one person. And that's kind of like what happened to me. I was in a relationship. I was engaged for eight years and mm. I felt that, damn, I'm working. You know, I'm successful at what I do. I'm a smart woman. I, I have my degrees in psychology. Now I'm in the hospital. I'm running a central sterile, the heart of the hospital where I'm in the operating mm. room and I'm responsible for the sterilization, infection control, joint commission, CDC, all that wow. stuff. I'm responsible for at a very young age. And although I'm good at, because whatever I set my mind to do, I'm going to do the best that I can do. I wasn't free. I wasn't happy. Mm. I didn't feel like there's still something missing. And all it took was for somebody like my fiance at the time to say, why not? You know, do it. Go, take a risk. And just hearing that, and taking the time to say, fuck it, you know, if I don't do it, what, what's the problem with me not moving forward? What could happen? That I don't get the opportunity to act? Well, I have a job. I'm good at this, right? Well, maybe I get exposed to something else. Well, I learned something, you know, the outcome was not in my control. The only thing that was in my control is to push forward and go for it. Facts. So I decided to take the decision and control what I can. And it was me actually pursuing it. And that's how I fell into booking my first film, Give Me Shelter. It's a short appearance. It's a little short appearance. It's a little cameo. But then it evolved into something else and then eventually became Orange is the New Black. See, and that's what I mean. You have to follow. You have to follow your passions. You have to really listen to your heart. Like you have to, because honestly, in this world, I feel, especially as black women, the world is out there telling us all the time that we can't do things. That's why you have to listen to the feeling that you have right. inside and have those people around you who support you and who encourage and lift up your dreams. Right. That is such an important message. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to <laughs> pretend that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> and we agree on some things. But not on everything. Hi. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. So you met, I think it was your ex-fiance on Mi Gente, the app that it was called? Oh my God. So <laughs> Mi Gente, no, Mi Gente, I met my son's father. That's it. Okay. So Girl, I've had relationships, you know. I, you know, I advocate, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm, I'm moving towards advocating a lot on sex positivity. Yes. On mental health, which I mm-hmm. always talk about. But also, I realize that we don't have enough people of color in mentorship positions, in therapist positions that speak mm. the language of our for our youth. And sex positivity to me is something that we don't speak about because whether it's religion, whether it's politics, religion and politics, I do not like to speak about. Mm. I think that religion and politics, you're not going to get honesty. You're not going to get truth. Mm. Everybody has different intentions. And if I do, you know, yeah, I really have to believe in the person that I'm supporting. And I have to say that as a woman that has had so many insecurities, um, that has had so much what we call body dysmorphia, facing my demons in, in the mirror and, and like, you know, I remember holding my stomach at a very young age and saying, I wish I could cut this off. And, you know, I don't like my body and I'm fat. And like mm. a lot of hurtful words that, you know, whether they were, transferred on to me or whether I learned from others were not necessary. Even Mm. feedback from guys, right? Because men were allowed, boys were taught, women were taught to receive and to express certain things that right now I'm like, that shit is not right. You can't tell Mm. me that because I've had, because I've dated and because I've been sexually free that living my life right that you know pleasing myself that that makes me you know there's a term in spanish called tiene mucha milla meaning you know they compare you to a car ah. and they say oh how many miles you have you know okay right you know it's like I oh it. because you've had x amount of guys and you have more mileage on you than a girl that has have only one or is a virgin you know and it's like well it's my vagina right it's my it's, it's my, my my pussy if i want to pop it i'm a pop it Right. It's my pussy. It's my vagina. It's my cookie. It's my ass. It's my, you know, it's like whatever I want to do, I want to do with it. And like, it's my moment. Mm-hmm. I I don't have anything against how you choose to live your life. What I have a problem is when we continue to judge those that choose to live their life freely mm-hmm. and how they want to. Okay. Like, I can't sit here and judge you for you making the best decision of your life for yourself and for you to do it for yourself. That's your choice. Mm. You know, I can't sit here and tell you what your choice should be because I'm no one. I have to be responsible for my choices. And that being said, I believe that whatever you identify with, I don't have a problem with who and what and what you want to call yourself, who you identify yourself with. I have a problem when we start 
disrespecting and wanting mm-hmm. everybody to agree with things that you don't necessarily agree. Exactly. We don't have to agree to disagree. We could disagree to agree. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I can still respect you. I can still be in the same room with you. I can still have a conversation with you. I can still learn from you. I can still laugh with you because I respect you. I embrace who you are. I allow you to be free in your own space, in your own bubble. And I think that a lot, a lot of people are not ready to have that conversation. A lot of us are ready to be, to live in this toxicity where we need to express or subtract versus adding to, Mm. consume. We're in a moment right now where social media is a double-edged sword. There's plenty of people that they want to do. They want to consume what you're providing. They want to they want to pull the rug beneath you. They want to throw the bananas peel so you slip. Yep. They don't want to sit there and like hold it up for you. You know, they're not ready to have that conversation. They're not ready to be educated. They're not ready to really be open to say, yo, that's what you feel, but this is my experience. Exactly. And this is what I feel. People don't really want to have conversations to understand people's thoughts and opinions anymore. They're literally just waiting for someone to do something that everyone or the general public feel is wrong and like just cancel that person but I'm like no that's not even how people grow that's not even how progression happens conversations and understanding one another and even if you don't understand as you said like everyone's different there's too many people on this planet for everyone to be agreeing on the same thing like come on when do you feel that you became so aware of this and when do you think that you've decided like okay actually we do need to just be more open as people I realized I did not know the effect that I have and the platform that I have when I started really being myself and I understood that people forget what you advocate for and people are quick to forget what you've done. And people don't really fucking know you. People know what the hell you post. That's all. People know what the articles that people write. And and again, you know, the media is a hell of a drug. The media will will alter and media Mm -hmm. will, will do things in a certain way to their benefit. And you have biased people also handling that. And you have people that are in the media that are not gonna like you. So like, you're the only person that can say your narrative. So how are you going to express your narrative? And I realized I can't continue to talk and I can't continue to type because this mm-hmm. is another thing that we have to understand. We become a, a place of like where we type and we read and depending on how you read and how yeah. you perceive oh. and where you at is how shit is understood and perceived. Yeah. I've had to check myself and tell myself, hold on. Cause you, right now you just saw something and you're not happy or you just like <laughs> fell or something or you hurt or you're emotionally about to get your period. You have, hold on. Cause all they said was, I don't have time right now. I'm going to call you later. And you're reading <laughs> it like, oh, you don't have time for me now. I'm going to call you later. So you understand it's like, there's a lot of that going on. You have to really be careful because, yo, when I think about cancellation and when I think mm-hmm. about There's people out here that have been wrongfully convicted. Mm. They're incarcerated for X amount of years. And I was part of a show where I learned a lot about prison reform and incarceration and and what goes on. And I understood that we forget about those people. Like we make them the crime. Mm. We don't know that they made a wrong choice. We don't, we label them as they're a criminal. Not, this is a human being that made a wrong choice. 
And also we forget about their circumstances as well that led them to even make that choice in the first place. And that's the thing that is a big problem. Absolutely. Not all of us are in the right state of mind, mental health. Mm -hmm. Not all of us are in the right state of mind. Some of us have addiction. You know, Mm -hmm. I've had so many different circumstances in my life that have taught me so well that I would have never thought whether a domestic violence survivor, whether, you know, abuse survivor, whether it's like, you know, and I'm a survivor of all that, I may not advocate because I, I, I don't feel like I have to say every, any everything on social media. Yeah. I feel like I just have to voice it when it's necessary and when I need to. And I'd rather connect with like people and, and have these conversations with strangers in the street mm-hmm. and get to know people like and really speak to people and say, you know, I understand what you're going through and I understand that you don't know because you don't have the education, because you don't mm-hmm. know where to turn. You don't have the guidance. You don't have the mentorship. You're part of a vicious cycle, right? And um, these are all good things. As, as much as they're negative, these are all good things. I had, to, I had to remind myself that I have to be thankful that I'm a, of who I am as a person, forget yeah. my physical, because my physical has affected me a lot because that's what society does. Yeah. It distracts you from who you really are in a way that you're so focused on your on the superficial aspect of it. Um, and I have to remind myself that, girl, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. You're better than that. You're better than 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 what somebody says because they only see and they only base it on what their judgment is. Mm. And so this is why I speak about this openly and and make sure that when I do speak about it, I'm I'm honest. Honestly, your kids are so lucky to have you as a mom. You're so oh like worldly and honestly, oh, I just love it. I love it. Let's talk about motherhood because I know you've had so many experiences and you've grown so much becoming a mom as well. So talk to me a little bit about when you first became pregnant with Dasani. Well, you know, I was a very young age. I was a teenager and um, it, it was hard for me to embrace motherhood. You know, she was a preemie. She was two months. I was 28 weeks. It was my first pregnancy. Oh. Nothing was like I expected. Nothing was perfect. She was in an incubator for two months. My little brothers were premature as well, 26 weeks. So I completely, yeah. So she was basically 1,998 grams. That's less than two pounds. She mm-hmm. was like, like her hands were like the size of the top of my finger. Mm. And so for me, like my experience was horrible. I did not like it whatsoever. I didn't bond with my child like all these like it's presented on TV, you know, I didn't give birth and here I am with my child and everything is glitz and glams. No, I was going to school. I was working, had a child that was sick, did not know if she was going to make it. You know, my mom at the time was alive, so she was helping me out. I pretty much went through postpartum depression without knowing I was going through postpartum depression. It's not like I went to a therapist. I didn't have the accessibility because I was on Medicaid. I had food stamps. I was on welfare. Uh, you know, I, I I lived off the agency. I've been through the struggle. I come, like I lived in the projects. I come from the hood. I'm immigrant. Like I've had adversity. So I know what it is to go to and be hungry. Motherhood was not my cup of tea. Yeah. Right? Is that what we say in London? Yeah, that's right. It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> it's just not my cup of tea. I was like, I'm more than just a mother. And mother yeah. motherhood for me was not fun. You know, there was times where I had to take my daughter with me to work because I worked overnight and I was in college working on my bachelor's. 
you know? And, and I asked myself, how did I do it then? And exactly. I'm like, how, how I had three jobs, had my daughter, I would take her. She would sleep with me at my job. Right. Wow. And then I would have to take her to preschool and I would still find my way to go to preschool. At that time, my mother had just died. So I had nobody helping me. I don't know mm-hmm. how I was going to do it. Her father was locked up. And I was alone. And it was like, how am I going to do this? But I told myself, I got to find a way. I remember I was crying that day. She was in the stroller and I just showed up to this. I walked up to the place and, you know, in New York City, it's really hard for you to get pre-K, to get early childhood help or daycare because it's very expensive and it's an application. Like if you don't make the application, you're done. And I refused to not go to school and not work. So I walked, I literally walked and I was like, yo, even if I'm embarrassed, because I'm always embarrassed of being a young mom and being Mm -hmm. vulnerable and like telling people like my mom just died, like my mom died and I went to work in three days and I didn't allow myself to heal. I was like, no, I can do this. I I did not understand the the process of healing. You know, I I understood just the process of going and like, you cannot stop. Pushing on. That's it. You're fucking strong. You can't give up. This is it. You have no choice. And It wasn't the best decision, I must say, but it was. Because at the end of the day, I did not realize. And so now that I'm realizing it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to struggle. Opening up helped you. Right. I have my my sister. I have my brother that I have to take care of. You know, and it's like, who do I turn to? Who do I really turn to? Mm -hmm. And like, maybe I had family that was willing to help, but I never asked either. Very strong and proud. Very proud. And sometimes, you know... Pride is a good thing, but pride could be, you know, detrimental to yourself because you don't ask for help. And I had to learn now, even in my career, that I need help. Mm. You know, we all need help. It's okay to ask for it, right? So my daughter, my daughter grew along with me. So my daughter's more than, you know, she knows I'm her mother because I don't play. (laughs) But she's in school now. She has a job, like... Wow. Even though I tell her I want you not to struggle and have my same experience, she does not want my help whatsoever. She goes to school. She has a job. She's totally different than me. I don't agree with everything that she does, but it is what it is. <laughs> she's her own being. I'm here, but she's a good person, and I'm proud that I raised a good-hearted individual. And then along comes my son. And, you know, my other daughter... That she's not biologically my daughter, but that's my fiance's daughter. Her name is Neve, and I consider her my daughter, you know. And then oh. I have my two nieces that I grew up with me in my same house. So you imagine a house full of five kids. Wow. You know, <laughs> it was like three-bedroom apartment, super crowded, but we got it done. And it allowed me to, like, really appreciate what I have now and to understand that I am a matriarch, yeah. You know, and even you though are. I don't like to be labeled as a mother first and as a soccer mom, you know, I'm a matriarch. And um, even though my mom passed, she lives within me. And that's how I'm able to, like, really still have her be present. She, her know? spirit is right. 100% present in everything that you do. And even though, obviously, yeah. I haven't met your mom, I can see it. I can see that she's made you so strong. She's made you so passionate. And honestly, yeah. Yeah. shout out to all the mamas, man, because they are really the right. ones that, like, they mold us. That, they that help was us. my mom. Oh, hey, mom. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful hair. Yes. <laughs> I, can, oh. I look like her a little bit. Yeah. I look you like the, her. You want to know what it is? You got the same like beautiful bone structure. Hey, can you believe talking about that? You know, my mom was very insecure of a lot of stuff, like her jawline. She was, and she was such a beautiful woman, 
But to go to show what decades of a women go through. Yeah. Because now people are paying to have that jawline. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> Shit has changed. Things have changed. And that's why you just have to just find your beauty within yourself and not care about what's going on out in society because society will be telling you the colour blue is hot, the next week's going to be pink. They'll tell you the sky is green. Like, they don't even know what's going on. For real. What's going on in your mind is what's going on mm-hmm. in your mind. And every world, Lita, there's a saying in Spanish, cada cabeza es un mundo. You know what mm. that means? And every head is a world. Mm. Cada cabeza es un mundo. So everybody's mind, there's a world. You have your own perceptions. Right. Okay, so obviously I need to get into In the Heights, which I had the pleasure of watching. Yes! Loved it. Yeah, I'm there singing along and dancing. Honestly, very fire. And also... Red hair suits you. Hmm. Note that. I love... So can I tell you that I have a thing? Talking about sex positivity. Oh. I have a thing for gingers. Really? I love gingers. Red, oh my God. Ooh. I love a red head. Ooh. Ooh. Ten, what ten is it about red head. What is What is it? What's the vibe? What is it about? I don't know. And I feel like I was... Because I was so obsessed. I wanted freckles when I was little. I wanted ginger hair. I wanted my tan. Like, I get really, really dark. When I lived in Miami, when I come from DR, when I'm in DR, like, that's my true skin color. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I get really dark, you know? Like, I have that mulat, like, taina, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I'm... When I see myself with red hair, it's like, that's how I feel most like... That's me. That's my... That's my tone. So I'm attracted to that. Like, I love a little red hair. Come on, like okay. brown skin. Okay. Dark black skin. And little, little freckles. Red hair. Like, I lo- okay. Come on. <laughs> Stop okay. it. All right. Don't so I it. felt like for her character, I felt like for the character in the Heights of Kuka, which is the first, my first musical role, film role, but also in the Heights. This is her first appearance, right? They created yep. this this role and I felt like she was a redhead you know I was like if there's something that I'm going to bring to this this essence (laughs) she's going to be a redhead spicy I love it I love it you Kuka looks amazing and it must have been such a full circle moment as well to be in a film that is based on kind of your childhood in a way like what was it like stepping onto set and kind of getting to you know bring your experiences bring your childhood to life for the screen well, bring in the experience of like culturally the salon, right? Yes. The beauty parlor, right? I love that scene. Like this, that, <laughs> Listen, especially in, in the Dominican community, like we're known for Dominican hair salons, Dominican blowouts, blow wash and set. You know, I don't know. I know that I heard that there's a little Dominican community over there in London somewhere. Oh, so the deal is when I go to London, you have to you have to take me around. I'm okay. gonna go visit you, you gotta take me around. Okay. But the point is that I drew my experience from my mom being a cosmetologist, my aunt that does have a salon in Washington Heights, where was my stomping grounds, where it was Mm. like where I pretty much clubbed, where I go, where I lived for the last 15 years from Brooklyn, Miami to Washington Heights to like meeting my fiance there at a Dominican Day parade is when I met my my fiance and being able to film there is a full circle because it it allowed me to highlight not only the, the story of the Dominican community, but be part of a huge relatable worldwide story like in the heights from Limano Miranda where incorporates just dreaming mm. you know where we all have a dream regardless of where you're from and you you're 
find yourself in another place, another territory, but you build these communities and you're supportive of one another and you survive and you you set these dreams. These dreams become alive, whether it's a little business part, whether it's a beauty parlor, whether it's a small business owner, whether it's just like having a hot dog stand, whether it's like, mm. you know, being here. It, there's the, the dreaming, for you to dream is priceless. If you are not able to dream then you're dead. And I hope that that transcends in the film with the audience. If there's one thing that I'm hopeful for is that the story is not just a story. It's a mm. moment. It's necessary. Mm. It's about joy. And at first I was like, wow, 2020 hits. It's the premiere. And then this happens. I right? know. And you worry, right? You worry. You're like, wow, such a great moment for this movie. Now we're just going to have to release it. And then you realize, wait, this is a pause in the matrix. This was necessary. I literally, I'm going to tell you something. I literally have been more observant than ever. And I must say that people have been more present. Yes. Whether they're at dinner, whether they're at a, you know, I just went to like a soca fest. Ooh. Right? That was my stomach. Can you hear my stomach? Yeah, I heard that. It sounded like a train. <laughs> Great, guys. Now you know Dasha's stomach is like a train. I'm doing intermittent fasting. What can I tell you? Oh, um, gosh. Anyways, train. That was a D train going all the way to Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I realized, yo, like, we're going to experience things differently now. We're going to dine different. Yeah. We're going to love different. We're going to cherish our relationships different. We're going to create different. Mm. Like, I see so much hope in what has happened. Yes, we've gone through a horrible, a lot of pain, a lot of crying, a lot of loss. But there's so much celebration. And I think mm. that that's what In the Heights is going to do. It's going to be a moment for us to celebrate true diversity. Just to wrap it up, what is one thing that you would tell your younger self, your younger self who was on her knees praying for this to become a reality? What would you say? I would tell my younger self to really, to really take advantage of the moment, to really embrace who you are, to be fearless, to not be embarrassed. Mm. To not self-assure yourself or determine how much your worth is by the people that you have around you, mm. you know, to, to set your worth and to know that people that know your worth will value you from the moment that they step into your life and those that don't need to go. And that's okay. It's okay to hurt people's feelings. It's okay to break people's hearts. You don't have to continue to punish yourself and and sugarcoat things and, and, and not want to hurt people, but put yourself, sacrifice yourself at that. Mm -hmm. There's no need for that. Um, unfortunately, I've done that. And if I wouldn't have taken the time to say, to face my demons and say, yo, like, what do you really want to do? Mm -hmm. Then I wouldn't have been in Orange is the New Black. I wouldn't have been in a position where I have a platform and I have a voice. It's not why I'm doing it, but but it's my purpose for doing it. And yeah. so I'm very grateful for that. And I tell my younger self 
that, but I tell myself now, the past is the past and it is what it makes you, but remind myself now that I'm continually to grow and it's okay to fall, keep on getting up, keep on owning your experience. Mm. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be a survivor. It's okay to make the wrong choices to say the wrong things and keep on going. Fuck the standards, you know? Uh, honestly, this has been such a refreshing conversation. I just knew anyways, I knew that you were just going to just be all the vibes and more. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on Role Model. I wanted to thank you and I wanted to thank all the listeners and I wanted to thank... I've had a lot of fans from London from the moment that Orange is the New Black came out. Yeah, we love you. Known. <laughs> we love you. So I love you guys me. and I appreciate you guys. And let's give a thanks to uh, my stomach for uh, doing a little appearance on... Uh, Shout out to you. you know, <laughs> right? Shout out to my belly. Shout out to my stomach grumbles for just making a little appearance on the show. Uh, but I am so excited for you. I'm so happy to... I'm honored to have been part of this. Thank and you. I'm just very thankful. Very thank thankful. you. Thank you so much. Role Model is a Something Else production, produced by Harriet Wells. Additional production from Steve Ackerman. The executive producers are Claire Solon and Chris Skinner. Special thanks goes to Ella McLeod, Jesse Donnelly, and Mark Rivers. The sound engineer was Gulliver Tickle. Next time on Role Model. That's when I realized girls are nasty. <laughs> like, what? What kind of lifestyle is this? Why am I seeing yep. certain things? Why are you not... It was not... the bath brown. It was just horrible. I remember seeing like, I've got a huge phobia of rats and mice and everything. So I remember seeing like oh. by the beds, there's traps. I was like, no, nah, mate, I need to get out of here. <laughs> this cannot be my life. And I remember when I saw one in the kitchen and that was the day I said, I'm never going back to a model's apartment again. <laughs>